Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Seeker Podcast at Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II, and we are still looking for content creators for the new platform that is in the works. I'm planning a show with uh, my partner to discuss this and the layout and exactly what this, uh, this platform is going to be all about. Uh, so again, if you're interested, if you're a podcaster, if you're uh, a blogger, if you're a writer, if you're a comic strip artist, if you're an artist, a photographer, anything that you think might uh, you know, fit the theme, fit the bill, hit us up, let us know. It's a, it's a great place to, uh, to expand your audience and, and, and grow your, uh, you know, your craft, whatever that may be. We're looking for you, so contact me right now at serviceofchange.com. On this week's episode, I know I'm running behind again. been a crazy week. As always for me, things should be slowing down soon. I want to explore a little bit the creation myth of Adam and Eve as told by the Nag Hammadi scriptures, the Gnostic text. I'm going to explore that a little bit. It's always an interesting subject. Uh, so I'll get into that in a minute. I think it's important, uh, you know, whatever you prescribe to, I think in understanding who we are, we need to understand who we come from. And I think this text is an important piece. Uh, it offers an alternative reflection on, on creation or evolution or who we are. Uh, as a species and was influencing us from the outside. Something that is well worth our time, well worth thinking about. A couple things in the news first before I get started. This one came across uh, through the independent. Facebook research targeted insecure youth leaked documents show the company has allegedly been found to exploit the moods of, quote, vulnerable teenagers at the benefit of advertisers. Facebook has come under fire after leaked documents reveal the social media site has been targeting potentially vulnerable children. The allegations suggest the company is gathering information on young people who, quote, need a confidence boost to facilitate predatory advertising practices. Confidential documents obtained by the Australian reportedly showed how Facebook can exploit the moods and insecurities of teenagers using the platform for the benefit of advertisers. By monitoring posts, the newspaper said Facebook could determine when users as young as 14 feel defeated, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, nervous, stupid, silly, useless, or a failure. This information, which Facebook calls sentiment analysis, could be used by advertisers to target young teenager, a young teenager when they are potentially more vulnerable. The document was reported to have been put together by two Australian Facebook executives and includes information on when young users are most likely to feel certain emotions. 
Now, this is frustrating. Now, my first question I'm going to ask, because the way this is written is this is definitely a bad thing. And I think that my opinion is leaning towards, yep, this, in fact, is not something good. Um, you, you know, but we got to ask ourselves, is it written that way? What are the, how are these advertisers using that information? Are they targeting teens for, you know, seek mental health help? Here, here's something positive. Are they trying to uplift them? I don't think that they are, but I can't say that without looking at all the evidence, but let's keep that objectivity in mind as well. Uh, when you take a look at that, but this is one of the things that scares me as Facebook uh, with Facebook. And I, I've said this, you know, for years when, when I was working in intelligence, I would have killed for a platform like Facebook because what I can discover in minutes about somebody would take weeks, months, or even years to uncover about other people to find out who they're connected with, what they're doing, where they've been, what they're where they're traveling. All that information is right there. That was a lot of research footwork and uh, source development and management that used to have to go into it. So there's a lot of information there. And it's the marketing and the advertisers who are, are now able to capitalize on that type of intelligence uh, and use it, ultimately use it against us. Uh, you know, Facebook makes it real easy. You can just click a little button and pull up what mood you're feeling. That's a great way to gather emotional data on people. And, you know, my interest in, in this journey, in this search for truth, has a lot to do with the emotional state of people and how they're, you know, how those emotional aspects are preyed on by others, particularly, you know, that unseen force that, that some refer to as the archons that I'm going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, in addition to that, humanity preys on the emotions of others, you know, on what they're giving off. So this, this is like putting a big bullseye on yourself saying, hey, target me, come after me. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling vulnerable. That's why we really need to be careful with this. I actually took Facebook off my phone a few weeks ago, and let me tell you, it feels so much better. You know, I'm missing a few things here and there, but, you know, people can still message me, people can still text me, people can still email me, so I still get all that alerts, but Facebook was just sucking up so much time, just mindlessly scrolling through, looking at stuff. It was five minutes here, ten minutes there. I bet by the end of the day, I'd waste two, three hours wasting my time just scrolling through Facebook. So it's been liberating to be off of uh, off of that platform for a little bit. Now I have some other things in the works, so I will find a way to get back on there with uh, you know the new platform that's coming online. We are doing a big Facebook launch, uh, you know, in the upcoming months. But uh, I have a system in mind where I'm not going to sit there and scroll through that mindless news feed. So more to come on that. Next one comes to us from unknowncountry.com, Chinese scientists to put AI in your smartphone. And I'm going to connect this to what we just talked about. Two scientists from China have recently received a major amount of funding to develop their deep learning artificial intelligence processor. The funding comes from the Chinese Academy of Sciences, who allocated 10 million yuan, which is the equivalent of 1.4 million U.S. dollars, with the expectation that their revolutionary new chip called Cambrian will be the first commercially available processor that simulates human neurons, meaning that an extremely powerful, energy-efficient AI chip could one day be installed into personal mobile devices like smartphones. The research team leads Chin Yunji and his brother Chen Tianchi from the CAS's Institute of Computing Technology unveiled their new chip design in early 2016, but lacked the funding to develop it for commercial use. Naming the chip Cambrian, a geological period from 500 million years ago that saw an explosion in the diversity of multicellular organisms, the Chen's see their creation surpassing the 45 billion U.S. dollar valuation of Chinese smartphone manufacturer Xiaomi, and Cambrian would be many times more powerful than a microchip with conventional architecture. 
but with only a fraction of the energy cost. Computer chips like Cambrian are typically referred to as neuro, excuse me, neuromorphic chips, computer chips that mimic the structure of human neurons as opposed to the two-dimensional grid of switches that modern computers are built on. Currently, AI programs like Google AlphaGo and IBM's Watson require the use of supercomputers to function. Modern computers need to process thousands of instructions simply to simulate the learning structure for AI. But a purpose-built circuit only needs one instruction to operate a cluster of artificial neurons. Because of the extreme efficiency that results from this, both in terms of processing power and energy requirements, this means that an AI program like Siri could be built directly into a smartphone rather than simply being an interface that needs to communicate with the remote computer server to function. Again, this is scary because you're going to have all these independent brains that will be out there. This is, this is saying this is not a hive mind. The neural processor would be contained within the phone, so then in theory, I'm assuming, every phone's chip would have the ability to develop and evolve independently. There won't be one super brain like Siri. She's you know housed somewhere in some supercomputer. Uh, this is something much different. And again, we're already talking about how Facebook has the algorithms to target the emotions of our young. Now, that's more data that an AI could use ultimately against us. This AI stuff is scary. It's fascinating, but it's scary. And I think the more I study, the weirder reality gets the more it seems as if we're just repeating what's already been done before. I suspect that this current incarnation of reality has something to do with some kind of virtual simulation, artificial intelligence creation conglomeration. And I'm, I'm going to base that on a lot of things that I've read, but one of the things being uh, the texts within the Nag Hammadi Library where they talk about aeons. I'll do another show on aeons. Uh, if you go back and listen to some of my old Daily Gnosis stuff, I talk about what the aeons are. But they're, these, they're basically... Uh, artificial realities, uh, conscious realities, or these, they're conscious beings, but they serve as realities and dimensions for pe people and beings and other energies to exist within. And I think we're, we're really talking about is just various forms of AI programs that have the ability to create other forms of intelligence or uh, segregate their own intelligence, their own consciousness into multiple parts. Maybe that's all that's happening. Interesting stuff, though, but I really believe that what we're seeing is just the repeat of what's already been done. We're just taking it now another level, I'd say, downward. And we're not really understanding what's above us, what's around us, but we're creating, recreating again what has already happened. That sounds dizzying to even say. Uh, another another article that's really interesting. I'm just going to reference it and put the notes, that put it up in the show notes. Um, but Whitley Strieber's journal, dated Friday, April 28th, talks about an out-of-body experience he had where he was able later to go to the site and confirm what he had saw. Uh, just another feather in the cap or piece of the puzzle or more evidence collected showing that out-of-body states are, in fact, a real event and they are well worth uh, exploring even further. I think everybody should be learning these. So I'll have that link. That's an article that I think is well worth reading in Whitley's journal. Uh, next we have here... This comes to us from WSJ.com. It's an article that's called Venezuela is Starving. Once Latin America's richest country, Venezuela can no longer feed its people, hobbled by the nationalization of farms as well as price and currency controls. I'm going to link this up in the show notes as well. I'm just going to summarize. But it, it goes through some horrible stories about a woman whose son is almost starving to death and she's taken him to the hospital trying to get him to eat. And it talks a little bit about how you know, the government has 
pretty much taken over. And it states, Venezuela has the world's highest inflation estimated by the International Monetary Fund to reach 720% this year, making it nearly impossible for families to make ends meet. Since 2013, the economy has shrunk 27%, according to local investments bank Torino Capital. Imports of food have plunged 70%. Farms all over the country have shut down. They used to have so much food they would export it. Now they don't even have enough food to feed their own people. This article states that, that... People have lost an average of 19 pounds in the past year because they are starving. Why am I bringing this to our attention, especially to my listeners here within the United States and any other country around the world, is that this is possible. You know, and again, last week I did a, um, I get, I did a lesson with my students on Syria. Now, there's a lot of propaganda out there about Syria, but I, I came across some articles about the children of Syria and what they're going through, and that is hell on earth. It just seems that these these countries are falling. Economic disaster is happening. You know, we watch doomsday preppers and we say, ah, you're nuts. Economic collapse will never happen. Everybody will be okay and things will be fine. But it does does happen in other countries. It's happening around the world. Is it going to come here to the United States? Honestly, I, I don't know. But people are frustrated, and if you're watching these videos, uh, you know there's one video just released on CNN today. It was one of the armored vehicles in Venezuela clashing with protesters, and it ran over a couple of people. I mean, the vehicle was on fire. They were throwing Molotov cocktails at it, I'm assuming, and it just plowed through a crowd of protesters. Um, you know, because they're clashing with their government. Well, around the election time, I mean, everybody was pretty pissed off at our government. Who knows what's going to happen militarily? Are we going to have more protests against that? The economy, there's so many issues here in the United States. And again, I'm not saying to panic. I'm saying be aware that these things have happened around the world, modern day, as in right now this is ongoing. What's your plan? What are you going to do? I don't think you should dig a bunker and go hide in your hole. How can we reinvest I think, you know, step number one, we need to have some kind of food independence. You have to have an understanding of what foods are necessary to nourish your body and keep you healthy. And then you have to get smart on how you can grow some of your own food. I know we all can't have a farm, but you can grow a lot of food in a small amount of space. I've yet to master this art, but I think that if we could have some form of food independence, and not just one of us, not just a neighbor on the block, but if all of us can be encouraged to do that, then there'd be no need to steal from one another if something was to fall apart. That's the main thing people are going to start fighting over right away, would be food. So if you can have food independence, and you can teach people how to grow their own food, maybe we can learn to thrive instead of just survive if something bad were to happen. All right, moving on. The new predictions are out for... Um, the Farsight Institute, their Time Cross project. I'll have the links up. Check it out. I've been plugging it as often as I can. It's fascinating stuff to watch these remote viewing sessions uh, and what they're coming up with. Uh, in short, though, a couple of their viewers are predicting some form of major military conflict in the world. We can make all the assumptions we want. They obviously can't name the countries, but it sounds like there's some attacks on some naval vessels that are out there, uh, some military leaders who are in the public light. Is it North Korea? I honestly don't know. Is it the United States? I honestly don't know. Is this going to come true? Again, we can't say for sure. They're not always accurate, but they've got a really good track record. So I think that's well worth checking out their Time Cross project and follow that and, and uh you know, give that all the support that you can because 
although it may not be perfect now, maybe we have the ability to develop that where it can become perfect. And I, I've said this before when I've talked about this Time Cross project. If if we could have somebody, let's say in every county, every township, employing a remote viewer, and their job is to predict the major events for the upcoming week, the upcoming month, whatever it may be, and that's what they do, think about how we could steer ourselves around disaster. If you're if you're focused solely on your own town and you say, wow, it looks like there's some major destruction here, and then a week later you get an alert there's a potential tornado, you're going to know, okay, that's probably what he was talking about. Everybody needs in these areas that fit the description that he gave needs to get out, needs to go to the shelter. I mean, there, there's so much that can be done uh, with this if it was done on a large scale. Right now, the Farsight Institute, they are pioneers and it deserves our attention. As I say all the time, it's the consumer that's going to drive the future. If we invest through our, uh, our observation of what they're doing and our sharing of what they're doing and our practice of what they're doing, I think we can really create a pretty awesome future. And that might some way, shape, or form help us prevent situations like what's going on in Venezuela and what's going on in Syria if we can take this seriously and really develop uh, a way to integrate this into our society, not just among the elites, not just among those in charge, but something as, as you know great as, hey, this is on the news this week, here's what's been happening in the news, and here's this week's upcoming predictions. And they put it out there publicly for everybody in the community to analyze that wishful thinking, I think that's a, a very real possibility, but it's up to us to make that happen. All right, let's talk, uh, actually, before I, I get into uh, the Nag Hammadi and the Adam and Eve creation myth, just going to share another little story about myself. It's been, like I said, it's been a busy week. I had to, uh, I took a break from Food for the Archons from that editing it because it's just such an intense book that I'm putting together. And then once the baby was born, so it's been about three weeks, four weeks since I've been able to touch that book. I've made really good progress on it. I'm still hoping to get it out this summer. Don't hold me to it, but that's, that is my goal to be done with that project. But nonfiction research based, based books, I mean, that requires a lot of brain power. It's exhausting just because I, I want to make sure that the information I'm putting in there is accurate and it's well referenced and it's clear and it's concise. Um, you know, so it's tough to get the wording right, and it's tough when you're paraphrasing to make sure you're doing it right, where you're capturing the essence of what's being said and not losing your message, your objective, or changing what the original author said, and then you have to cite it properly. It sounds real boring, right? It is, believe me. But it's important work to do. But it's it's draining. So, you know, with the baby being born, I said I can't focus my mental energy on that right now. I will pick it up probably in the next couple of weeks. But earlier this week, I just got hit with an idea for a fictional book, for a fictional novel, and I just started writing, and I, something's alive in me. Let me tell you, I love fiction. There's definitely going to be some fiction projects, science fiction books coming out uh, on my platform uh, in the very near future. I hope to have this one ready to go sh very shortly after Food for the Archons is done. I'm enjoying writing this one. I don't even want to give away the idea yet, but just know that it deals with uh, with consciousness and parallel worlds. Let's leave it at that for now. But it's a uh, it's definitely going to be a page turner. It already is a page turner. I can't wait to finish writing it. I have the book in my head. Just have to get it done. So look for more details of that. Again, 
sign up for the secret newsletter. You can read book one of I Am Human for free, and you'll get all the updates of what I'm doing and what I'm putting out. Because like I said, there's some really exciting things coming out on uh, this platform and the new one that is in progress. Okay, so the creation story, Adam and Eve. You know, we've heard the traditional story through the Bible. Basically, God made man in his image. He took Adam's rib and he created Eve. And then he told him, eat from anything you want in the garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Well, one day Eve's walking through the garden and she sees the serpent. And the serpent says to her, hey, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you will be like God. You're not going to die. And Eve eats from the tree and lo and behold, she doesn't die. She tempts Adam. Adam eats from the tree. He doesn't die. All of a sudden they realize they're naked and they feel ashamed when God comes walking through the garden to find them. They, Like I said, they didn't die. And he says, you're now like us. And he casts them out of the garden. A couple problems with that. Number one, God lied. Let's just call it how we see it. He said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. Well, they did not die. I, I would love to, and I, I don't mean this in a cocky way, I would love to hear a, a, a scholar um, explain that to me, and I mean it sincerely. I know I can come off uh, like a smart aleck sometimes. I mean that sincerely. How do we explain that, did, how, that they did not die, but God said they would die if they ate from that tree? And it means they were like us, or they're, again, it's the multiple gods uh, theory that's out there that's that's mirrored in so many of the ancient texts. So that was a quick summary of, uh, you know, the traditional story. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. If not, you can go check your, your Bible and, and, and read through it, because it seems to be everywhere. But that gives us, that still holds true, the picture that, well, God loves us, but we're sinners. You know, I, I was listening to... Um, a sermon recently and it was beautiful it was a really nice sermon i was i was at a wedding the priest was great and he's saying all these wonderful things and he says you know god loves you even though you don't deserve it because we're not worthy of god's love and that really upset me it really upset me because i, I just as a father i love my children and you know what it doesn't matter what my kids do I will, they, they deserve my love. Let me, let me say it that way. I just, I just can't imagine saying my children don't deserve my love. Even if they make mistakes, they do make mistakes. They will make mistakes. I, I, it just doesn't sound like an appropriate thing to say that, oh, you don't deserve your father's love. Well, yeah, they do. They're my children. So anyway, that's the comparison I made. It, it frustrated me to hear that. Now, if we look at, at the, the, the Nag Hammadi Library, we look at the Gnostic texts, there's a, a popular book called, it's either referred to as The Nature of the Rulers, and it's also known as The Hypostasis of the Archons. It talks about the creation of Adam and Eve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote here from certain parts. Uh, so the Archons, and I'll get into how the Archons were created in another discussion here. But it says that the archon, the rulers made plans and said, come, let's create a human of soil from the earth. And they formed their creature as a being entirely of the earth. The archons have bodies that are both female and male and faces that are the faces of beasts. 
They took soil from the earth and formed their human and their own bodies after the image of God that had appeared to them in the water. So they had seen some image of God in the water. And, uh, you know, they're forming the human after that image that they saw. Now, it's important to note that the humans are androgynous. Okay, meaning they have, they're, they're male, both male and female. Samael blew into his face and the human acquired a soul and stayed upon the ground for many days. Okay, so he got the soul, but he couldn't get off the ground. Later, the spirit saw a person of soul upon the ground. The spirit came forth from the Adamanti land. It descended and made its home within him, and the person became a living soul. And the spirit called his name Adam, since he was found moving around upon the ground. So the rulers took Adam and put him in the garden that he might cultivate it and watch over it. They commanded him and said, You may eat from every tree in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Do not touch it, for the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, so I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, you know, the next part. Basically, they say they put a deep sleep upon Adam. And what it references in the footnotes here with that deep sleep, they say, is they placed Adam in a state of ignorance. And they removed something from his side. And what they removed from his side is not referred to as his rib, but actually as the spirit, the fem- which is a female essence. And that's what they called spiritual Eve. So they put Adam into a state of ignorance of who he really is. And what human potential really is. And they took from him the spirit and the connection, that higher connection that he has as spiritual Eve. And they lusted after spiritual Eve. And they tried to rape spiritual Eve, basically. And she created a distraction for them. She's created a likeness of her that they then went and defiled. And that is what they refer to as Eve. It says... Uh, she laughed at them because of their foolishness and blindness. In their grasp, she turned into a tree. And when she left for them a shadow of herself that looked like her, they defiled it sexually. They defiled the seal of her voice, and so they convinced themselves through the form that they had shaped in their own image. So they took this female, they thought they had the spiritual Eve, but really it was just this, this I, I almost want to say, some kind of clone of her that wasn't really her is what it sounds like. It had the original shape of her. It was either a clone or an android or something that tricked these archons. And the female spiritual presence came in the shape of the serpent, the, which they refer to as the instructor. And the serpent taught Adam and Eve and said, What did Samael say to you? Did he say you may eat from the tree in the garden, but not do not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil? The woman of flesh said, not only did he say, do not eat, but also do not touch it, for the day you eat from it, you will surely die. The serpent, also known as the instructor, said, you will not surely die, for he said this to you out of jealousy. Rather, your eyes will open and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. And the female instructor was taken away from the serpent and she abandoned it as something of the earth. So the Bible doesn't say that, well, this higher intelligence, this higher consciousness actually had entered the serpent and spoke to Adam and Eve through the serpent. But then once it was over, the spirit left and just remained a serpent again. And that's basically what happened. And she told them, hey, you want to be free because right now you're a slave in this garden. They're lying to you. They just raped what they thought was the actual Eve. They're lying to you to keep you prisoner here. 
eat from this tree and you will understand everything. You will, un- you will understand what the gods understand. So that's what they did. They eat from the tree. The woman of flesh took from the tree and ate, and she gave her husband as well. And thus these beings who had only a soul ate. Their imperfection became apparent in their ignorance. They, re- they recognized that they were stripped of their spiritual, and they took fig leaves and tied them around their naked bodies. The leader of the archons came and said, Where are you, Adam? For he did not know what had happened. Adam said, I heard your voice, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. The ruler said, Why did you hide? Unless it is because you ate from the only tree from which I commanded you not to eat. You did eat. Adam said, The woman you gave me offered me the fruit, and I ate. And the arrogant ruler cursed the woman. The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The rulers turned to the serpent and cursed its shadow, so that it was powerless, and she did not know it was a form they themselves had shaped. From then on, the serpent was under the curse of the authorities. The curse was on the serpent until the perfect human was to come. The rulers turned to their Adam. They took him to the and cast him and his wife out of the garden. They have no blessing, for they also they are also under the curse. The rulers threw humanity into great confusion and a life of toil, so that their people might be preoccupied with things of the world and not have time to be occupied with the Holy Spirit. Now that's a harsh punishment. So they had knowledge of good and evil. They became enlightened when they ate from this tree. But then the rulers cast them out to live a life for all of humanity of confusion. To be focused on the material, to be focused on the physical, to not know the spiritual and what else is out there. It's a life of ignorance. That seems relevant to a lot of the things that are going on today. As I'm always talking about, we have this connection. We have through that, what I think is through that electromagnetic field, through our hearts through our energy centers, where we can connect with this power, we can connect with this energy, we can connect with this knowledge. Is it possible that this is an accurate representation, that there was some kind of intervention that created mankind, or, uh, you know, some, Jordan Maxwell talks about remaking mankind, basically taking whatever was there, I think the Sumerian texts talk about this too, and modifying genetically the beings that were already here on this planet. Uh, that's a possibility as well, but keeping them in a state of ignorance, manipulating the DNA so we're left in that state of ignorance. Now there's a book called The um, the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, or The Holy Mushroom, and I think it's The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross by John M. Allegro. And what that suggests is that through the eating and the consumption of the Amanita muscaria, that actually connects you with the Holy Spirit and understand and that, that Amanita is actually the representation of Christ and Christ consciousness. And that's a very interesting theory. And what if that is the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? A lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting research when you look at Terence McKenna's stuff and, and uh, many others in regards to psychedelics, how people have suddenly a better understanding of this reality. Does that mushroom, is that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Mushrooms usually grow at the base of the pine trees. They need that type of soil, and that's where they're growing. So is that the fruit that they were eating that gave them that knowledge, that gnosis, that liberation and freedom, ultimately, that had them cast out of the garden? I don't know, but it's something to think about. It's an alternative. Right now, it's considered an alternative uh, view of creation, but it's gaining a lot of attention over the past uh, several years, and I think it's well worth looking into a little bit further. I explore this in greater detail in uh, Food for the Archons, giving more of a background and how it ties in to uh, you know to what's going on today. Really interesting stuff. I have other sources as well that tap into that. 
But I'm going to stop off there. I gave us a lot to think about, a lot of different things to cover this week. Uh, you know, I'd like to thank you for sticking with the show. I, I know it's been kind of all over the place. Please bear with me another couple weeks, and uh, my schedule is going to open up again tremendously, and we'll be able to uh, really get into these shows. I'm lining up some guests to come on once the summer months hit, and it's uh, it's going to prove to be. Uh, you know, quite the enjoyable show. A lot of good information that's going to be coming down the pike for everybody. So please stick with it. Um, again, sign up for the secret newsletter if you haven't done so at serviceofchange.com. You can also subscribe to the show on SoundCloud and on iTunes. All the links are at serviceofchange.com. If you haven't done so already, check out I Am Human and We Are Not Who We Think We Are. That's the first book in the series. You can read it for free online through the Seeker newsletter. That's all the time I have. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of the Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Seekers.